What do you know about Jesus? Were you raised in church but know there's more to the story than the words on the page? Was his name forbidden in your home and no one ever explained why? My name is Miri Nadler and I'm curious about everything, especially the first century. Join me as we read through the Gospel of Matthew chapter by chapter and discuss the cultural, historical, and archaeological discoveries that will satiate our curiosity for who Jesus really is, what he really taught, and why those things changed the world as we know it. Welcome to Jesus Curious. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Jesus Curious. I am your host, Miri Nadler, and today I am delighted to welcome somebody who knows me probably better than anyone, my husband, Hey, Matthew Nadler. Here we are. <laughs> and he uh, is more than qualified to be on this show because he has a master's degree from a seminary. It's not in divinity. It's not in, no. It's not in apologetics. But it's not in atheism either. No, it is in philosophy. Yeah. But he knows a lot about the Bible too. I don't know. You, you do. I know enough. <laughs> but he also knows a lot about Israel. Oh. And a lot about Israeli music. Is that the segue or is there more to come? It's like, it's a. Well, we do like to open our show with a little taste of something not so biblical. So something about modern Israel or modern Jews or what have you that, I don't know, makes Israel more real, more is real, uh, not just an abstraction, not just a land of the Bible or a land of war politics, but something that does have a current pop culture or just funny everyday happenings. And you happen to know a lot about Israeli pop culture. And so I asked you to come with a list of your five favorite Israeli artists. This is musical artists. Musical artists. And... Yeah. So uh, you did you did warn me beforehand. You've been thinking about it all week. Yeah, that that's the problem. I've been overthinking it all week. <laughs> You've been overthinking and, it yep. all week. So, you know, because you know, it's Israel's a country. It, it is. It's a an entire country. It's sort of a microcosm of all the, you know, cultural factors and things that would go into any country. You know, what is the five best artists of America be just as maybe just as complex because we're also looking over time, right? I mean, okay. So number one, Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number Elvis. two, Freddie Mercury. Three, Pavement. No. See, it gets complicated. <laughs> there you go. That's not four, complicated though. <laughs> four, LL Cool J. Just, you know, I don't like He wouldn't be in my opinion. I think five, but... Michael Jackson would probably make the list. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
but you know, but the, the question was the favorite, uh, favorite five. My favorite five. Your top five Israeli artists. Oh, so I, I was I, I took it as artists that you would should hear. That here here is a way of. That's the same. It's the same. Okay, top here they are five Israeli. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first one I was thinking about in terms of generations, like, oh, okay. you know what I mean? Because you know you can go and maybe starting with the most recent. So that would be what's the generation younger than us? Generation Z. Yes. Okay. So the new, the most recent, and moving into maybe I don't know. We'll see how far back we can go with, after five. Um, but you have clips too, right? So we can, so it's all prepared. But, yes. um, so the first one was Gon Ben Ari. Gon Ben Ari. Can you spell that for people? G-O-N-B-E-N-A-R-I. A-R-I. A-R-I. And they can find that on Probably. Spotify. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's on Spotify. And so, yeah, why did I pick him? Because it's, it, it to me represents a kind of, um, a kind of perspective on Israeli life, spirituality, uh, the world, which is um, sort of, I guess, in the realm of the new age. Okay. I don't know if you talked, you haven't talked, I've listened to most of your podcasts, but you haven't talked about that a whole lot. No. But, the, you know, it's it's a very spiritualistic, very philosophically oriented, that kind of thing. Do they talk about like crystals and tarot cards? No, no, not like that. <laughs> um, there are a parental warning. They, they do talk, does talk about like, you know, fanny packs, drug use, oh. um, maybe putting in fanny packs, but, uh, <laughs> no, there's another song about fanny packs that anyway, um, so that, yeah, I just thought it would be an interesting artist to listen to. I should, uh, I should explain the reason, main reason why I would listen to Israeli music for myself, uh, although I, I do enjoy it, it's really a practical matter. It's just to maintain uh, Hebrew. So it's like an input, a language input, you know, they say you have to, in order to keep learning a language or able to know a language, you really just need a lot of input. Music um, evolves over time. And the best way to learn how people are using common vernacular in the present yeah. with uh, different kinds of, right. what's the word? Uh, no, uh, yeah, different slang. Different slang right, so, is to listen to music. And so that would be, any, so that so it's it's helpful, but also unhelpful in that way, because sometimes you're learning phrases you don't want to learn. Um, A lot of times. You're learning how they use loan words that are, you know, it's, it, especially because that first artist was, which we, we're not really focused on the artist now, we're kind of doing a tangent. But it, you know, it's it's kind of like a mix of hip hop and folk, sort of Beck plus Kanye West. They meet in the middle somewhere too. So, all right. Well, and so that's the first one. And oh, you have a, and now you're gonna, look. yeah. Okay. So let's listen to it. <laughs> Okay, 
pizza. That was very, very nice. It was very sweet and peaceful. It wasn't hip hop at all. <laughs> it was it was a random example. Okay. Not random. It was just not, it wasn't it didn't express that part of it. Okay. So it was very sweet. Okay. Well, I liked that one. Did you? I did. So tell me about your second artist. Oh, okay. So moving back, we got generation the one the younger than us. Now getting to millennial, probably elder millennial. Okay. Um, this one totally different perspective on the world, probably different lyrics base. It's pretty much the lyrics are from scripture and um, they're believers in Yeshua. Uh, but I thought it was a, a, a good one to include. I, I think, I think of them kind of as a, I would say a super group in their own way. Really? Yeah. Like I, I don't, I can't tell you the story, backstory of everybody, but I maybe few of them and you know just to give one example like this is the band is called i didn't even tell you the band is called mckaydem mm -hmm. and um they've come out with two albums and they're about to release a third and um they definitely got fans um and include myself in that number and i think that yeah they they just they bring a very uh creative approach diverse influences Western, Eastern, but yeah, like one example, one person in the group who had a shy soul, uh, she, who I could have included as well, but uh, she, she won like a contest and then was in Kohab Nolad. Uh, the contest was like a Bible, Israeli Bible quiz thing. And then she ended up on television. Like there was a clip that went around. This is like 10 years ago, I think a long time ago. And, uh, she was playing uh, a song by Idan Reichel, another artist, of course, if you've never heard, you should check out. Um, and Idan Reichel was one of the judges for this. Kochab uh, Nolad, uh, a star is born like their, um, what would it be? Like, like American Idol. Like American Idol, right. So, and so she was doing this song in a very sort of introspective style and it was really one of the judges. And then this backstory and it became like a interesting thing, like, hey, a, a Messianic believer uh, has made an, impression cool and, and, and so and then so we can find later, she's in this band and then of course jamie hilston and yaron we can find mikadem on spotify <sighs> m-i-q-e-d-e-m yeah m-i-q-e-d-e-m and what song were you wanting to um introduce us to the one they just put out Haunino. Harninu, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> There's something about that. It kind of reminds me of like a monastic dirge or like how they're saying, honey, no. Yeah. I mean, it's just getting started. <laughs> like it's a, it's a very complex song. It's very intricate. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I feel like they've had better songs. <laughs> they have not necessarily. I mean, look. That story is yet to be written. Like, yeah, you know, this is still 
they're an ongoing concern. Okay. We'll pray for them. Yeah. No, they're well, doing they're doing great. Absolutely. That's a great song. Uh Okay, number 3. Okay. Oh, uh going back in, further in time. Gen X. Yeah, it would be Gen X. Uh so this would be uh okay. I, I picked uh, there's a lot of bands you could go with at this point because, you know, in the 90s basically what what do you do? You you start a band. Uh as far as I remember. That's what all of our elders did. So yeah, I picked the band, of course, that I have come to really love and enjoy. And even my son, our eldest son, mm -hmm. likes it a lot. So um, for better or worse, and so the band is T-Pix. And if you're wondering, it's like T-Pax. T-E-A-P-A-C-K-S. Thank you. Yes. T-Pax. T-Pex because they were first named after the whiteout <laughs> T-Pex, and then they had to change their name, at least in English, because of copyright reasons. Or and they won. What did they win? The um, the Eurovision. Oh, they, well, they they were. Uh, they performed with a song. They ended up being criticized heavily for there. Push the button. Yeah, push the button. So okay. It's talk... about the bomb. Let me. Okay. Not supposed to be political on Eurovision. The world is full of terror. If someone makes an error, it's gonna blow us up to bitty bitty kingdom come. There are some crazy rulers, they hide and try to fool us with demonic technologic willingness to harm. Right, so and the song is about like how Iran is going to push the button. Blow us all up. And and <laughs> And the, yeah, the, pop the, song for Eurovision. the chorus goes, push the button, push the button. He's gonna push the button. And so my yeah. kids became a fan of this song. And it like my four-year-old who just got out of the car seat and oh. <laughs> and into um, a booster seat. Yeah. He wants to push the button, which, which is the the seatbelt, and he would use sing that song and start pushing the button. And, and yeah. yes, and so, so I, what you're proving to me is you fault these bands for these very subjective like reasons that you can't you just can't fault a band for this thing that happened in our lives <laughs> <I> will, <laughs> it's still good i will say so when we were in israel three years ago i was teaching a kit class and there it was interesting because i hardly speak hebrew uh, uh modern hebrew and these women hardly spoke english and there's this one woman noah who um we were giving her a ride to the bus station after the class. Maybe and she's lifting. Hey, Noah. Yeah, maybe. Mishma. And um, so my husband is actually quite fluent in Hebrew. It's not true. And thank you. And so he was talking to her in Hebrew, and she goes, "Mili ani b'shuk." 
which means Mary, I'm in shock. And um, she asks Matt where he learned his Hebrew, and he goes, Tfex. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I learned Hebrew before then, but you know, it, it's, you know, he's a very literate songwriter. <laughs> It's not all about Iran bombing Israel or the possibility of Iran bombing Israel. It's, you know, he he's writes a lot about a lot of them. So, so I really appreciate them. Okay, so, so going back in time. What was the song that you wanted to Oh, do? right. Uh, did I choose that one? Yeah, that's a good one. So Tipex, classic Israeli music. Um, didn't they discover Suri Haddad as well, those people? I don't know if they discovered her, but yeah, obviously Suri Haddad is amazing. So All right. they did they did a couple great songs with her. They kind of made the Israeli sound. The Israeli music. Tipex? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I feel like. That's a good yeah. So good at summing up things. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, great. Okay, so number four. Number four. Where so we, Generation X, that past that's going to be baby boomers. Baby boomers. Kavelet, Beehive. That you don't like Kavelet, do you? <laughs> I feel like that's a band you got to listen to if you want. They they really did make a way of seeing the Israeli sound. Um, okay, so Kavelet, K A V E R E T. Yeah. On Spotify. Yeah. And they have a song Probably. about a dog that you sing all the time. Well, that the kids like. Yes. I wasn't going to choose that one, but you could choose that. I was going to choose Goliath because it's, you know, you have a Bible podcast. That's about a Bible carrier. Okay. character, Goliath. All right. Let's try it. Okay, so question. Um, do you think that Kaverit uh, sounded anything like your parents' band? Yeah, a little bit. Did I talk <laughs> to you about that before? Yeah. I feel like they had a, I mean, maybe it was an indirect influence, but they had an influence on modern messianic movement. I, I don't know about my parents' band, probably. Matt, Matt's parents were in a band. The first incarnation of the incantation, in first version of the liberated Wailing Wall. Yeah. So now they have called the liberated Western Wall or something. But um, your dad played the tambourine and the harmonica. Yep, and my mom sung and the, played guitar, probably played guitar. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So, all right, Kaverit, and what's classic? The, what's your? What, oh, who yeah. are the old geezers here? Well, Greatest Generation, maybe it's your, yeah, it may still be Baby Boomer, but you know she's she's she precedes Kaverit at least in some of her music. I was thinking maybe this is the groups I'm still getting into, so it's sort of. But Naomi Shemo was gonna, and I was gonna force you to listen to Aleph Bit. 
Naomi Shemer, because that's another one the kids are learning Hebrew. Naomi Shemer. And her last name is spelled S H E M E R? Yeah. Now that, she, she has all kinds of music that says it's not just limited to children's music, but you know. That's what I wanted to dance to. So that that one's good. I like that her. one broke her, broke in for you. I like crossed that over, one. Crossed over into Miri's universe. I liked it. That's good. That's great. I just want I just wanna Good job, babe. Just wanna make you happy. Good job. <laughs> that made me very happy. You're welcome. You did a good job thinking about this all week. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was see. I, I was thinking, what are the five best rappers from Israel that I could give you? Edendelso, Ravi Plotnik. You know, I could have just tried to do rappers, but that would not have been pleasing. I and it would have also been unhelpful in other ways. So, I only know Subliminal. Subliminal would have had to make the cut. Yo, yo, happy Nali, Subliminal. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> so, oh, you got a Bible. All right. Are you ready to talk a little Bible? I am. Ready okay. to preach, ready to pray, ready to die. Okay. So we're talking about Matthew 4. You're, I'm glad that you're ready to die. <laughs> but please don't. Not while Let we're recording this, it's, at you know, least. It's a saying. <laughs> I haven't, say. I haven't taken my life insurance policy out on you yet. <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think if you've revealed, yeah. have you revealed private information that would, you know, scammers could use? Nah. Okay. okay. All right. Okay, I'll do all right okay so would you like to start off by reading for us so we're wait setting the scene we're in matthew 4 right matthew 4 so john the baptist just dunked jesus the baptism we just discussed i discussed with carolyn okay. all about um john the baptist with the essenes um how uh John the Baptist was really, in my opinion, his uh, baptism of Yeshua was really more of a validation of the beginning of Yeshua's ministry, like prepping him up as a master in the eyes of the people because Yeshua said in order to do what is proper, but also at that moment, the spirit of the Lord came upon him um, as a dove, so it was also God Himself alighting upon um, Yeshua, validating Him as a master with the authority to gather His disciples. Cool. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're we're looking at chapter three. Chapter four. Oh, okay. 
Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay. So I have a few thoughts with this. The first thought that I have is that he goes into the wilderness, which is where John the Baptist came from. Um, so where exactly is he going? Is he going into the land of the Essenes? Is he going um, into Engedi, where uh, David fled from Saul? Um, where exactly is he going into the wilderness? We don't know, but the wilderness is seen as a place of trial. And the fact that he's going for 40 days, 40 is always seen as a time of trial. Um, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. That was because the 12 spies went into the land of Israel and 10 of them came back with a negative report. And so that whole generation was not allowed um, to go into the promised land until they all passed and except for Joshua and Caleb. And then like Jonah's message to Nineveh was 40 days in Nineveh will be destroyed. Um, the, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights uh, when Noah entered the ark. So 40 is always a time of testing so um and that word tempted uh you know i know i checked like uh hebrew translations of the greek as well but the, from the greek and how it, it corresponds to uh god testing abraham it's not really necessarily tempting like in the sense of trying to seduce one to do evil but mm -hmm. it's, it is that same thing it's that time of testing uh you know Lina sot, you know, to try someone. Gotcha. And so and there's another thing that really kind of came to mind as well was that in the Jewish tradition, you are not supposed to fast on Shabbat. Um, and that's not in the, well, is that in the Torah? I actually did not look that up. Um, I'm not aware of it being in the Torah. It's probably not in the Torah. But, but we're all on a learning journey. It was serious enough for him that he ended up fasting through several Shabbats, mm -hmm. which certainly at the time would have been something um, that would have not been the custom, I don't think. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. They even, the only time that you're supposed to fast on Shabbat is on Yom Kippur, but there are prescribed fast days on the calendar, like the 17th of Tammuz or the 9th of Av, mm -hmm. where they'll actually move the fast day to a different, to like the next day, or I think it's the next day, correct? Or the day before. 
I think it's the next day. Yeah, the next day so that you don't have to fast on Shabbat. Um, so those were the things that came up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he went into the wilderness, um, you know, he's been anointed by God at this point. He's the son of David, and we know that David is fleeing from Saul mm-hmm. in the wilderness. And at this point, he's being tested by the devil. Um, and it seems that there might be a correlation there as well, where he's not necessarily fleeing the devil, um, but certainly David is being tried, and David is also facing issues of hunger um, while he is being chased by Saul. So um, there seems to be a correlation there too. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if I've ever thought about that. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. And uh, at that, and there's that point where David uh, is allowed to take the showbread from the temple mm-hmm. um, because he was so hungry, um, where that would have otherwise been forbidden. Um, and this first part uh, is that the tempter comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hmm. So, yeah, that does it. Yeah. So you think uh, David could be a foreshadowing there of, of this encounter. Well, I do like to remember what Rabbi Joshua Brumbach said in chapter one, in that Matthew is writing this for the hearer. And so even if things don't come together rock solidly in correlating to David, perhaps they're meant to perk up the ears of the hearer to remind people that Yeshua certainly is the son of David Hmm. and to remind um, them of David being hungry in the wilderness of playing Saul and being hungry for the showbread. And in that instance, David did take it and eat it. Um, In this instance, Yeshua is capable of being satiated with the word of God Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, um, wanted to point out too, that this 40 days is giving enough time for word to spread about what John the Baptist had done and said about Yeshua during Yeshua's baptism. Mm-hmm. So John the Baptist at this time was very well regarded and very well known, had a huge following, um, And whatever he was doing was kind of spreading like wildfire and local gossip. And it was giving a chance for the reputation of Yeshua to be spread around the Gal, at least the Galilee, because he, this happened in the Jordan river. And um, so it was creating this distance in time for people to kind of, have these whisperings about who this person Yeshua was. So that's the, the timing of this is important too. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts, Matt? Um, no, not this time. Okay. Do you want to keep reading? Where are we at? Verse oh, 5. Verse 5. Yeah. <clears throat> then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And continue? All right. Okay. And Yeshua said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, great. Hmm. So, um, yeah, one thing that I read, and I don't know if this is true or not, I can't remember which disciple it was, but there, there was a report of some meme that I read that one of the disciples was thrown off this very, um, this very, uh, place by the Romans in martyrdom. So this very place where the devil took Yeshua to the pinnacle of the temple, Mm -hmm. um, is where, the uh, Romans took one of the disciples and threw him off to kill him. Uh, And he died uh, in the name of his faith in Yeshua. So, and I wish I could remember who that was, but I will look it up and put it in the show notes, put it in the show notes. That's right. And uh, so regarding this, uh, you know, who would want to just jump off the temple? <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm going to tempt you to jump off a high building. Not tempted at all. I've never been tempted to jump off a high building. <laughs> it, is, it is a counterintuitive thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But I think the idea is just like, um, right here, right now, you could prove to everybody that you are divine. Mm-hmm. And you can call down your angels and everybody will know that you're the Messiah and nobody's going to question it. And, you know, let's get this party started. Yeah. Show on the, let's get the show on the road. You're yeah. done. Yeah. I can, yeah. Um, but he responds with, you shall uh, not put the Lord, your God to the test. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think that means? It's interesting. Like maybe he's saying, well, the testing goes only one way. So, you know, I, I, and I really haven't, I haven't fleshed this out in my head yet, but you know, you take it back to the, uh, where it says he was led up by the spirit to be tested. I mean, it says tempted, but maybe perhaps it's the same concept there as, as to the test in, in this other verse. And it's, you know, God, uh, tests us mm-hmm. and in, in he i believe could even use those uh creatures that he's created in angels even the devil to test um so it would you know the devil has his own agenda perhaps but you know it's uh it, god controls these things so it's uh, so the idea of being uh tested by him it's really in the end god who is, is pulling the strings uh, and 
and then so you, but you, but it doesn't go the other way so for me this kind of reminds me a little bit of moses about how he struck the stone and uh god did not tell him to do that and for that reason he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land and there's a difference between when god tells you to strike the stone and the miracle happens versus you striking the stone and saying, okay, God, you do your thing. And he just doesn't work that way. Um, so I think that's, that's basically what Yeshua is saying here. And um, we know from the epistles that he poured himself out, not, not to be um, so that equality with God wasn't something to be grasped, but to be like a man. And, um, mm -hmm. So he wasn't going to basically operate without the authority um, of the mm -hmm. father uh, to do the miracles that he was supposed to do. Right. And the miracles that actually he was supposed to do were the ones that were prophesied for the Messiah to do. It was not prophesied for the Messiah to jump from the temple and have angels catch him. <laughs> <laughs> but it was prophesied for the Messiah to make the blind see and the deaf hear and all of these other things and mm -hmm. for, um, for to come with healing in his tzitzit. So that's kind of what I gather from that. Yeah, very so. nice. Yep. So are we continuing? Mm -hmm. All right. Rolling on then. Uh again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all these things i will give you if you fall down and worship me then yeshua said to him go satan for it is written you shall worship the lord your god and serve him only then the devil left him and behold angels came and began to minister to him okay so I think this is just, I think it's just, this is like a, a really funny moment that he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Um, the Messiah who was with God in the beginning. And he says, I will give you all of this. If you bow down and worship me, it just seems so, it seems like the silliest part of the Bible that I can even think of. Yeah. Like, doesn't he get it? Like, why wouldn't he not? Why wouldn't he see that this Yeshua doesn't need it? it he's grasping for straws at this moment. Yeah. And so it just seems like Yeshua is batting at a fly where he's like, go Satan. <laughs> it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Mm hmm and so the devil left him and then angels came to him in almost the same way that ravens came to elijah uh, to mm. minister to him so um that's the end for like the temptation of mm. yeshua um that comes at the end of his fasting one thing that i heard on TikTok this week that i thought was like super insightful was about people who are sexually assaulted um, 
that the assailant comes to them when they are vulnerable and alone and how just as um, Yeshua was vulnerable and alone, so he was hungry and alone, that is the moment when the tempter comes to him to um, you know, offer him all of these things that just seem like they wouldn't be appealing at all to the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, things that are, we wonder, why would you know, a victim of abuse be tempted by this, that, or the other, or see the appeal of their abuser. And the reason why is because they are vulnerable and alone Mm -hmm. when um, the abuser comes to them. And um, I thought that was so interesting because it's like, even in that way, Yeshua understands the plight of a victim of abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, understands the mindset of somebody who um, succumbed to some kind of manipulation um, to to be a victim. Hmm. So I thought that was pretty insightful. Yeah, it is insightful. I think that uh, you know you mentioning the emptying mm-hmm. that that he uh, that the son took when he uh, took on flesh and the idea that that emptying then in a way it's extended it's like extending it to the to not eating to not you know to continuing to be emptied he's so, like completely emptied into base humanness at mm-hmm. that point yeah wow so yeah being that vulnerable um uh, yeah, things that might seem silly when you're when you have perspective or something when you're out, you know, in the midst of the trial, don't aren't, mm-hmm. you know, there it doesn't it doesn't seem the same way when you're facing it. That's right. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Mm. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, So one thing that really strikes me about this is that when we went to, when we were in Israel three years ago, when we were there in January, I, um, I, that was the first time I went to the Galilee and it was, and when we went, it was very like misty and dark and there was like a lot of fog Hmm. and um on the galilee and i know that sometimes it's like crystal clear it had been it was really rainy then it was but um it did have this presence about it that was very fisherman like like you think of in maine when you think of like the shoremen with the 
you know, lobsters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like pipes. <laughs> but, um, but it did have that sense of like kind of that cove like placement of like this fishery mm-hmm. kind of feeling of kind of enveloping you. And so out of that, the darkness saw a great light. I, I don't know. It really kind of sings to me just from like a aesthetic of when we were Ooh. there. Um, but it could have just been the time. Yeah. Speaking of time, I mean, as a, I mean, where, when they were living in darkness and have seen a great light, does it have, cause it's called their Galilee of the Gentiles as well. You know, I think it, you, I'm not a, a, a Tanakh scholar necessarily, but like the idea of the invading armies that had that you know, like right. trampled the uh, the Galilee underfoot, so they were they were the idea of a spiritual darkness. But maybe it can kind of like even continue to a, um, certainly. Well, there were a lot of cities that were Decapolis cities um, around the Galilee, and mm-hmm. Decapolis cities were Roman cities that. Um, they did have some Jewish population, but they were primary Gentile populations mm-hmm. and, um, they had a lot of witchcraft and sorcery and demonic, demonic activity. Yeah. And, um, that's like really apparent when we get to Matthew eight, uh, the, so Decapolis cities were all around the, the sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. So these, um, Jewish cities were surrounded by a lot of Gentile cities, which made the oppression of being in occupied territory even more intense for those living in the Galilee. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Wow. But Capernaum itself was actually quite a large city. And uh, especially for the time, they believe it had about 2,000 people in it, mm-hmm. which is humongous for a uh, first century city. That's really quite large, especially when you're thinking yeah. about the region. Say that number again? 2,000. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And I remember when we were there, I was thinking, this is like a pretty decent size. And what I we didn't have a tour guide because we were just on our own. And I didn't realize that we were only in one half of the ancient city because there's a Franciscan side mm-hmm. and then there's the Greek Orthodox side. And they refused to um, excavate the Greek Orthodox site because they want to make it like a holy site, which kills me inside because I just am dying to know what is there. Yeah. But it's it's definitely a trade off there. It's huge trade off to me. But when you go there, there's like a Franciscan church. And then if you go out towards the sea, there's just a ton of these church. Um, tours that are doing their Bible studies <laughs> at the Sea of Galilee, and they're all reading probably Matthew mm-hmm. four or something like that, or so, some kind of Galilee chapter, <laughs> um, yeah. right there that takes place at Capernaum, and um, it's very very sweet. And we had little toddlers that were terrorizing them at the time and running around, and yeah, it was sad for them. Yeah. But, you know, we were getting our exercise in, so. All right, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get our ticket. We're going back. Oh, we need to. 
um, we should we should put a page. We I don't have a Patreon because I never asked for money, but maybe we should put up like a GoFundMe. <laughs> um, no, no, never mind. We don't need that. Nope. I just no comment. Okay. Um. So and then so what he begins to preach is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, mm-hmm. which is the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he just says the same exact thing that John the Baptist is saying, which makes a lot of sense because he's uh, John the Baptist is not only the forerunner, but if John the Baptist is the one that's kind of in the human eyes, legitimizing his ministry, that he would go forth with that yeah. same message. Very famous, uh, popular Dude, he's a he's a he's a bit he's kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Okay. All right. So where were we? Oh, now we're talking about disciples. Eighteen. Now, as Yeshua was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, uh, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and it followed him. Going on from there, he saw two old other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay. Okay. So, um, Matthew is making a very, very sweeping statement. Like he's just bypassing a lot of information here. That is. You want to talk about something that happens in Mark, don't you? I do. I want to talk about so much going on right, right here. But also, <laughs> it, you know, it's like you listen to so many sermons that are like. And Jesus just said they were casting their nets and Jesus said, follow me. And they just dropped their nets and they went and we need to be like that as disciples. And it's like, there is so much happening. Um, that Okay. Give me an example. Okay. Well, first of all, this is what, this is what we need to talk about. Okay. Um, Andrew was following John the Baptist around. Andrew. Yes. So Andrew we don't think he was not a disciple. We don't think he was a disciple of John the Baptist, but he was very, very interested in John the Baptist and he was following him around. And we know that from the gospel of John. Hmm. Um, And so he had been hearing these whispers about um, Yeshua for a long time. And he'd been telling his brother about it. Hmm. Andrew and Simon, or Simon Peter, they were in business together as fishermen. And they were more entrepreneurial, and they were poor. And um, and then uh, James and John were the son of Zebedee. Zebedee uh, was be- believed to be married to Salome. Yeah. Now, Salome, according to church tradition, but also, this is 
on not shaky ground. I'm going to say it's on loose ground. Okay. But on the accounts at the cross, because of how the women are listed, many believe that Salome is actually the sister of Jesus's mother. So sister of Jesus's. Okay. That would make James and John first cousins of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, now Zebedee has a big business. And how do we know Zebedee has a big business? If we turn over to Mark one. Yeah. One sixteen. Okay. It says, as he, this is talking about Jesus. Yeah. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Right, so to do their fishing, they had employees. They had employees. So Zebedee was had a big business. He was wealthy, and it is believed through some accounts and also through Salome making a request or John's mother making a request later in the Gospel of Matthew um, about her sons that Salome and Zebedee were funding a great deal of the ministry of Yeshua, that they were basically tithing quite a lot of money Mm -hmm. to help him and his disciples um, kind of walk around uh, Israel and Judea, Galilee, all of that stuff. So that's that's who they were. So Um, you're thinking about all this when you read this paragraph. Even though it doesn't have all that detail in in the, in this account, but you're you know it's in Mark. Right now, think about this. Mark is secretary. Mark was not a disciple or an apostle. True. Well, mm-hmm. later he's a later uh, not an apostle, right? He was not an apostle. He was not one of the twelve. Mm-hmm. He was a secretary of Peter. Okay. So Peter, he probably so it's believed that Peter did not read and write in Greek. Okay. So he wrote Peter's letters for him. Right. And so we might be able to think of Mark's gospel as Peter's gospel in that maybe Mark got his notes from Peter. Got some of his perspective to write the gospel. And we also know that Mark's gospel is probably the first gospel written. And that off of Mark's gospel, Matthew took Mark's gospel and said, this is awesome. I'm going to make some real good visuals out of this and, you know, made it a little bit more full, a little bit more complete. And then Luke gathered more information and did the same. And so we have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
Um, and whereas John is completely different. So let's, so if I'm correct, and I don't know if I'm correct, this is speculation, but let's say that Mark's gospel is more like Peter's gospel, pointing out that Zebedee had servants. Build the shade. There's some shade there, especially since John in his gospel is the only one that says, where Yeshua says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Mm. There was not a good relationship between Peter and John. That's what I'm okay. thinking. No comment. Just kidding. <laughs> I see it. I see I, it I so clearly. <laughs> and also. This, is, not just, this isn't just synesthesia, right? No. no. But also, Peter <laughs> was the head disciple because that's what he's called in the Greek by Matthew. He's like the line leader. And so it often says Peter and the 11. Mm -hmm. um, the line leader is for you parents of young, young kids out there. Or if you can remember back to when you could, when you really wanted to be line leader. The line leader has the most power as our four-year-old often reminds us. He wants to be line leader. So, um, or, you know, <laughs> What's it when you uh, shotgun, you know, when you get in the, but our kids aren't old enough to get in the front seat no. yet. So Peter wrote shotgun. Um, okay. Anyway, so <clears throat> John does not hesitate to let everyone know in his gospel that he was the disciple that Yeshua loved. It's true. And if they were first cousins, they were probably pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all speculation on my part, but by the way, yes. I think it's worth noting here that I I think Peter has mentioned something like 120 times in the gospels and acts. And then the next um apostle who's mentioned the, the the next most mentioned apostle is John, and he's mentioned like 25 times. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people say, oh, I just so identify with Peter. Or, oh, I'm such a Peter. The reason you probably feel that way is because he's just mentioned so many times. And the reason why he's mentioned so many times is because he was the head uh, disciple. But you don't know. You could have been, you could be a Thaddeus. Yeah. Peter's personality is, from, is yeah. emphasized. He more. messes up the most just because he's like, He's the line leader. There you go. Okay. There you go. But this is where I really wanted to talk about what it meant to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. And I puffed this up last week in my discussion with Carolyn. Um, in first century Judaism, what the process was of being a disciple and why... Um, Peter, Andrew, James, and John just dropped their nets and left. Mm -hmm. And so I had you read an article. I had Carolyn read the same article. But um, maybe you can kind of spit back at me what it said the Jewish education system was in the first century what you understood it to be and to the point of 
becoming a disciple of a master. Hmm. But you have the idea of the, what is it? Uh, Betora. Bet Sofer. Oh. Bet Sefer. Bet, oh, Bet Sefer. Okay. Bet Sefer is in modern Hebrew means school. So you wouldn't want to get that confused probably because it means um, Bet Sefer is in, in this context, it's like um, six to 10, you're saying? Mm -hmm. And then uh, you have, uh, what is it? Bet Midrash? Bet Talmud. Oh, Bet Talmud before that. Okay. And then so that's like what would be these days pre your pre bar mitzvah bar mitzvah class uh, so uh 10 to 11 12 maybe 12 mm -hmm. in there and then then after that you're talking about the sort of uh, master's program Beit midrash yeah Beit midrash um <clears throat> where you would end up uh becoming a disciple of a rabbi so the Beit sefer was mainly focused on memorizing Torah. And I think that this really came out of a, um, a trauma response really from the exile um, of the going to Babylon where they didn't have access necessarily to Torah and coming out of Babylon and then mm. hearing the Torah for the first time and weeping Hmm. and realizing that the loss that they had of not having the Torah available to them. And then, you know, sometime after that, when the Greek occupation came in and they weren't allowed to study Torah or do anything Jewish at all, and um, the Maccabees came and the Hanukkah story starts, um, and the Maccabees defeat the Greeks and the Hasmonean dynasty comes in. And, um, you know, we have basically this kind of, the Greeks are letting the Jews kind of run their own uh, thing in Israel. I think that at that time, from what I understand, it was about around that time, about 150 BC, that the Beit uh, Sefer started where they wanted all Jewish boys to memorize Torah hmm. so that there wouldn't be a time that um, any outside influence could take away the memory of Torah from the people. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, they really in, invested in it as a people, that this is almost like a public school um, where every Jewish boy was uh, expected to memorize Torah from like six to 10. And then like 10 to 12, before their bar mitzvah, it was more like halacha, more other, like- Other literature. I mean, I, I do, probably anachronistic to throw in the bar mitzvah, but yeah. Well, it was more, it was That's more like my, my... The, the way of living. It was more of like, okay, well, um, if you're going to, because if you're going to take on these commandments, then um, how do you live these out? You know, or how are we living them out practically? Which halacha means like way to walk, walking it out. Mm -hmm. And so there would be some study of that. And it would be very, very basic. Like how do you do Shabbat? How do you, you know, eat kosher? How do you, 
like, I don't know, very, very simple day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then after that, you would be invited, the gifted students, well, they say gifted, but I, it also said gifted, well-connected students. It's like Harvard. There's going to be people who get the legacy score. Right. Know? Yeah. The gifted, well-connected, rich students. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because their parents would, would fund the ministry of it. Something like that. Right. Um, would go, be invited into a Beit Midrash where it would be this master's program of learn, of studying t- Torah and um, Midrash and, you know, like all of the sages and all of these things. And um, then there would be a process of approaching a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And um, you would approach a rabbi and ask if you could be a disciple. Mm-hmm. And if you, and, and the, the rabbi would, dis, would either accept you or not accept you. But then after you were accepted as a disciple, then what was the life after that? Well, then you were, uh, the, the phrase I think you get from Pirkei Avot is you were in the dust of your rabbi. You were covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning that you're basically learning to imitate the way he eats, the way he lives, the way he follows the commandments. So there's going to be different styles of practice and different ways of observing the same commandment that's going to vary in it may be in small ways that are going to be perceptible to the disciples uh so yeah imitation right and so it would start off like the key word is imitation and at first it would start off with imitation of how to walk out the commandments and how mm-hmm. to keep the commandments but it would go into such minute detail as to how you would dress, as to how you would hold something or tie something. Um, And uh, there would also be this obligation on part of the rabbi, which the main obligation is to be available and to give purpose behind each thing that he's doing. So you live with your disciples and you would give some kind of purpose to, I, you know, I tie my right shoe first because it reminds me of this. And then I tie my left shoe second because it reminds me of this. And they would just, I don't know, make stuff up, <laughs> but they would add some kind of elevated meaning to base things that they were doing to, um, so to help their disciples remember mm-hmm how they can imitate each thing and elevate their everyday life, which is not a terrible practice at all. I think, you know, um, there was a time where I lived in like super Orthodox neighborhood in LA called Valley village. And I had access to all the Orthodox things. And, um, I kept very, very, very strict kosher kitchen. And what I loved about it was, that my very mundane life, the most mundane things about my life was elevated very high. Um, my grocery shopping, I thought about God. My washing my dishes, I thought about God. Putting away my groceries, I thought about God. 
Um, Because they can't go all in the same place. Correct. So um, I thought about God in like very small parts of my life. And um, I think that's something that um, more kind of evangelical um, threads of faith really miss out on because there's not um, like spiritual disciplines within the mundane. Hmm. Um, And so like I've been in um, women's Bible studies where it's like, you know, you just have to take a moment to stop and think about God in your day to day. And it's kind of like, um, you know, well, how do you do that when you're just kind of like have so many things on your, on your task list, but when the things on your task list are actually there because of God, um, then it actually changes the way that you think of their things or they're automatically elevated to, um, a point of, of high spirituality. So, um, and high importance in, in, uh, your, your walk with God. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but anyway, I really appreciated that, uh, in when I, when I was doing that in any case, um, so what is so special about this is that it was the elite people that were invited invited to go to Beit Midrash and the even more elite people that were accepted by a rabbi to follow him. Hmm. These people, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they, they certainly went to Beit Zephyr, probably to Beit Talmud, definitely did not go to Beit Midrash. Hmm. Um, and they didn't ask the rabbi to follow him he came and asked them to follow him. Mm-hmm. And it was such a huge honor. It was, they didn't even have to think about it. Mm. It wasn't a sacrifice for them. Uh, I mean, they knew the sacrifice that it would be. Um, but the honor was so incredibly great, so incredibly outweighed whatever sacrifice they had to endure. It wasn't even a thought in their mind that they just dropped their nets and ran. And, and remember, this is at least at the very least, probably more than 40 days have passed since this huge thing happened with John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So they may have been aware of him. Well, certainly Peter and Andrew were because of the account in John. Um, And it's very possible that James and John the Apostle were cousins. But Zebedee, he wouldn't have thought, like, I lost my workers, you know. He would have been so overjoyed that his sons were chosen to follow um, such an honored rabbi. Hmm. Yeah. Overwhelmed with pride. And, um, and that is the same 
Messiah who calls us and asks us to follow him. And we have all the excuses in the world to not do it. We don't see, we don't, we, we don't take on that same honor of what it means to be a disciple of Yeshua. That we don't see it as, as that huge honor that they did. Um, it's not presented to us in that way. I think it's often presented as this huge sacrifice, which it is, and we should definitely count the cost, but the honor is so huge that the cost doesn't is trivial. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, I mean, the, I think the, um, the, it seemed to me, and this actually came up in that article you sent, that the roots of discipleship are in, uh, even in the ve'afta, you know, in the, in the, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your might. Um, and the, the idea that you teach these things to your children. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, I think there's a sort of, uh, in the formalization of it, in the sort of institutionalization of it that happens after um, all the things that you mentioned uh, in the course of time, uh, that it, I think there is a sense in which, uh, you know, and it's interesting bringing back the, 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 po- the possibility of these familial connections there. Uh, but the idea that uh, there's this, it's if it's your own son, like if you're te- you're not looking to teach your son only if they make the grade, right? Right. Um, so there's that that sense of you know it's it's God's love. Mm-hmm. It's not just it's not about mer- uh, merit in that case. It's not discipleship based on merit. That's true. So that's, I guess, what what it comes down to when I see what happens there in that in that passage. Um, yeah, that was my thought. Well, and what's with these four people? What's interesting is that so you know it's possible that James and John are cousins. Andrew has been following around John the Baptist. Peter's the only one who's kind of just been working. <laughs> He's also the the only one that we know of that's married. You know, he's got like a family to support. And but he'd be the only one who's been working. Well, because Andrew's, I mean, he's the only one that hasn't been following around John the Baptist or. Oh, I see. You know, oh, ha- yeah. maybe. Andrew had, yeah. Maybe perhaps, you know, knows all about Yeshua in some some real intimate way or interesting way Mm -hmm. and um but he's the one that's chosen to be the head disciple Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because he's the oldest or maybe it's because he's taken on some kind of responsibility or maybe it's more of a the last shall be first and the first shall be last kind of situation Hmm. so um so yeah so anyway i thought that was that was kind of interesting but also what i found um, very convicting was that, um, you know, the Great Commission says to go and make disciples. It's, and in that way, it's like God commissions us to, as 
um, rabbis, as teachers, you know, to bring in disciples. And one of the key things that we have to be is available. Mm-hmm. And our primary disciples are our children, which we are as available as we are very available for kids. <laughs> um, we homeschool, we are so, I mean, very incredibly available for them. Um, but we have, to, you know, they, we can get caught up in other things. Yeah. But there are also people in our lives um, that maybe need more discipleship or new to the faith. And it's important to no matter how busy you are with your own family or your own life to be available Hmm. to make yourself available for, for people. Hmm. Recognizing yourself also as a sort of in that role, not just as a disciple, but as someone to be imitated. Right. I guess in that way, uh, that can be a little bit intimidating, but it's the, it's the calling that you have. It's the responsibility you have. As a mother, as a father, yeah. It's usually intimidating, but yeah. that's kind of, I mean, the role of a disciple is to eventually become the master, right? Mm-hmm. To imitate the master to the point where you did get your own disciples. And um, so, um, yeah, anyway, I, I find hmm. that find that very convicting. Hmm. Okay, so, so. Yeah, last paragraph. Uh, I'll read it. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Hmm. So um, he's making some noise and he's doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do, which is a lot of healing. Um, So, and we'll talk in later chapters about um, the healing, the, he comes with healing in his traditionally uh, wings, healing in his wings. Um, but it's a uh, healing in his corners. He'll, you know, Where the tzitzit would be. Where healing in his tzitzit. Tzitzit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So pretty exciting chapter. Um, lots, like lots happening in that chapter. Lots to talk about, but I don't know. Pretty, pretty good stuff. We'll get to hear him talk finally next yeah. week. Um, so I have my, um, Rapid fire questions for you. Well, first of all, let me say I appreciate you, Torah. Oh, thank you. Reminds me why I picked you. <laughs> anyway, what, what? Oh, rapid fire questions. Let's go. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Favorite book of the Bible? Ecclesiastes. I don't know. I'm probably going to change that later, but for now, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Okay. Why are you skeptical? Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> skeptical. Okay. In the world to come, 
what you want Leviathan to taste like. Just like a latka. Hanukkah's coming. A potato salad. Something potato-y. I don't want it to taste unusual. <laughs> this time. A French fry. I mean, that's what you're going to be eating for like eternity. So you just want like potatoes. This is a... These are metaphors, Miriam. <laughs> Has no one told you? <laughs> it's not. It's. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. Okay. Leviathan. Right. All right. I'm pulling up my socks for this last question. No, yeah, there's I, two more. Okay. Double, double barreled last question. Okay. Totally distinct two questions. Okay. If you weren't an amazing. What? Homeschool administrator. Oh, what job would I want? Yes. What job would you want? Um, probably uh, philosopher. I want to write philosophy books. You'd want to write philosophy books? <laughs> that, that actually doesn't surprise me at all. Or a drummer in like a really fun band. Yeah. It has to be fun. Can't right. be metal, because we all know metal's not fun. Writing philosophy books about drummers. No. Have two a double, two careers. Double life. Not a double, well, you know. Okay. Being a drummer is not like being a spy. Like you can Being a philosopher is kind of like being a spy. But no. anyway, okay. I don't, I, yeah. Besides Yeshua or Moses, which person in the Bible... Would you Bible. most want to have a conversation with? What would you talk with them about? Jonah. What would you ask him? All the stuff that went down. What uh, his experience of what was that? What was that experience from his experience of going into? What exactly he went into when he went down that way? How did it smell? Not, I don't need those kind of details. But yeah, if he has those details to give, that's fine. Like after being in the big fish, why were you so mad about this tree? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like why did you get, were you petty at the end because, because of the were you just geopolitical, you know, yeah. forces or was it just something very actually petty? Was it like yeah. scorched earth? Like not, like I can't. All right. Okay. And scene. Are we done? Are we, uh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so fifth question. Very good. No, oh. no, no. You're good. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. And I am so happy I got to introduce you to my hubby, Matthew Nadler. This is my wife, <laughs> Mary Nadler. Um, yeah. If you have any questions, you can email me at JesusCuriousPodcast at gmail.com. You can find uh, my podcast, anywhere you can, can listen to them, um, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, the, Spotify. The podcast app I use, which is Pocket Casts. Pocket Casts. And also, I'm on TikTok and Instagram, at yeah. Jesus Curious. 
Next week, we have uh, Dr. Sophia Magallanes uh, to talk about the first part of Matthew chapter 5. And I'm so excited to have her. Everybody have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. Deeper than the holes in the dark And higher than the stars and dreams Further than time tells a soul You're closer than the breath that you breathe Once I met a man who was murdered Raised on the stake like the snake But in Jerusalem and you could see the truth in him And it shone like an innocent child Shone like an innocent child Yet grieved like a man with an adulterous wife He stood in the midst of exile As the kind hand that extends to humanity From the depths of Hashem The walking instructions of him Your love is deeper than the in the dark and higher than the stars and dreams further than time tells a soul yet closer than the breath that you breathe redemption of great Israel was born on Sukkot grew strong in the instruction Healing in the junctions of darkness Inspected four days and found no blemish Four days and found no blemish One day wickedness Hope to save the ravish goddess But willfully gave himself over As the ransom lamb of Passover To buy back Israel from the world's disorder First fruit of the resurrection from the dead Your love is deeper than the holes in the Breath that you breathe